Amen. Amen. Thank you, Josh. Good morning, Redeemer. Good morning. Good morning. Good to see you. Welcome. Glad you're here. If you're a guest with us this morning, I want to especially welcome you. My name is Jordan. I'm one of our pastors here at Redeemer, and we are kind of in between sermon series this morning. We just finished up a study of the Gospel of Mark, and next week we will begin a new study of 1 Corinthians. We'll spend the rest of the year walking through Paul's first letter to the church in Corinth, and I am very excited about that study. I think it will be a timely one, a relevant one, uh, not only for us as a church, but uh, just for the church uh, in general, uh, in our culture and in our context, to study 1 Corinthians. We're titling that series Renovation, and we'll really see the, the power of the gospel to, um, to, to bring a new life and restoration to things that often get sideways or broken in our lives or even corporately in, a, in, a, in the church, in a local church. And so thrilled about that study. But this morning, while we're in between the two series, I wanted to preach a sermon on one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. And you just heard it. And Joshua read it beautifully for us, Psalm 51. And so I want to invite you to get to Psalm 51 in a Bible. If you're not there yet, if you have a Bible on your phone, open it up. If you have a, a, an analog old school Bible with pages, uh, open to Psalm 51. And as you get to Psalm 51, I want to invite you back into this text with a question. And the question is this. When the sin in your life gets exposed, what do you do? When the, the sin in your life, when, when sin in your life comes into the light, how do you respond? There was a time in our country not too long ago when the sin, infidelity to be exact, of a man in authority, a man who was esteemed in a position of high moral character came into the public light. This man's name was President Bill Clinton. And I'm sure you remember what he said when he was accused of having an affair with uh, a young lady that worked in the White House, he said, I did not have relations with that woman. See, when President Bill's, Bill Clinton's sin came into the light, what did he do? Well, he denied it, and then later he downplayed it. But the last thing that he wanted to do was to admit his mistakes. It's not just out there, though, with people in places of power and authority that has their sin come to the light. Um, it also happens for us. Recently, my wife brought to me what she called a concern. And if you're married, you know what that means. She brought to me what she called a concern in my life. And she really came to me less as a, as a, as a wife who wanted to kind of get her husband to act a certain way and more as a sister in Christ who is concerned for me. She knows what I believe and she knows the kind of father that I want to be. And so she came to me and she said, hey, I'm concerned you're being a bit harsh with the kids. You're letting other stresses in your life impact the way that you're treating the kids. And I know the kind of husband you want to be, and you don't want to be a harsh father. You want to be a loving father. And, and so she brings to me her, these concerns. She brings to me the reality of my sin. And guess what I felt happening in that moment that I was being checked? When my uh, sin was coming to the light, I was being checked. What I felt in that moment, the way I responded was I felt my inner defense attorney stand up in my heart. I felt ready to plead my case and, and pose arguments and counter arguments as to why I wasn't really being and acting and treating my kids the way that she thought that I was. You see, the last thing that I wanted to do in that moment was to admit my sin. 
What do you do when you come face to face with the truth that you are a sinner? You see, there's a fundamental truth in the Bible, and it's that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23 says, Romans 3.10 says it this way, no one is righteous. There's no one, not one of us who is without sin in our life. So when you are faced with your sin, with your failure, with your brokenness, with your deceitfulness, what do you do? I want you to hear another fundamental truth of the Bible, and it's this. It's because God is merciful. Because God is merciful, we can come clean with our sins. I want you to hear me this morning. The mighty mercy of God is available to sinners like you and me, and the mighty mercy of God is able, able to cleanse us able to redeem us. Psalm 51 tells us what the mercy of God can do when we confess our sins. If you read the note that's at the beginning of Psalm 51 in your Bible, it tells us two things. First, it tells us that this is a Psalm of David. What are Psalms? What are the Psalms? Well, if you're new to the Bible, the Psalms are a collection of hymns and prayers and poems that act in a way sort of like a playlist for God's people in every generation. How many of you have a playlist that you often go to on your phone that maybe it's your workout playlist or it's your commute playlist or it's your folding laundry playlist, whatever it might be. The Psalms are to act like a playlist of source for God's people in every generation, a playlist that we go to, that we click play on, that reminds us of who God is his nature, his character, how he's acted and what he's promised to do. It's a collection of songs and hymns and prayers. It ought to be a, a thin place in our Bible, especially this one, Psalm 51. It's a Psalm of David. Who is David? Well, David is a mighty king of Israel. He was anointed by God, appointed by God. He's described in the Bible as a man after God's own heart. He was a shepherd boy who was called out by God and chosen to become a great king of God's people. He's used by God. He was faithful to God in many, many ways. But yet he too, David, this mighty man of God, was fallen. He, like you and I, was a sinner. David is a man who experienced temptation in a moment. He allowed temptation in a moment to grow. He let it go unchecked in his life. In fact, it's possible that he entertained it. And eventually, this temptation led the mighty king David, the faithful man after God's own heart, David, to commit adultery with another man's wife while he was away in battle. In fact, if you, you could think of it this way, Psalm 51 in your Bible, you can imagine it blue and underlined, like it's hyperlinked. It's, it's inviting you to click it. And if you click it, you click through it, and it takes you back to 2 Samuel chapter 11. 2 Samuel chapter 11 is where we read the story of David's adultery, <clears throat> of David's sin. And, and I know that we have the kids in, the, in, in with us this week. And so in an attempt to keep this sermon as PG as possible, I want to give you some homework and I want to invite you and even challenge you this afternoon to open your Bible and read 2 Samuel chapter 11. Read the story of David's sin, how the temptation in his heart is entertained and it grows and it leads him into the depths of sin. 
Read 2 Samuel chapter 12 of how God comes to David and shines the light of his displeasure on David's sin. 2 Samuel chapter 11 teaches us something fundamental about sin, and that it's that sin lives on two axes in our life. First and foremost, our sin is before God. David confesses this in Psalm 51 verse 4. He says, before you and you alone have I sinned. But 2 Samuel 11 teaches us something fundamental about sin. It's not just on one axis, but it lives also on a horizontal axis. In other words, though our sin is first and foremost between us and God, our sin never stays between us and God. Shrapnel always flies when we sin against the Lord. Other people always get hurt when we sin against the Lord. You see, in 2 Samuel 11, we see that King David believes a lie that he could entertain temptation and no one would ever know. Everyone's away at battle. He's the mighty king. He sees Bathsheba on the rooftop. He believes the lie that he could entertain temptation and no one would ever know. He believes the lie that he could enjoy a hidden moment and indulge in sin and no one would ever find out. He could keep it quiet. He was the king after all. He had power after all. But sin is never this simple. This is what we must understand. This is not how sin works. Shrapnel always flies. Just go read the rest of the story and you'll see how much more complicated and devastating things get as a result of David's sin. Let me summarize it for you a bit. Bathsheba ends up pregnant. David goes into sin management mode, and I'm sure that there are some of you that know what this means. Goes into sin management mode. He tries to get Uriah, her husband, to come back, and, but Uriah's faithful to God and won't go be with his wife. And so then he, he gets even more desperate. He thinks that he could uh, can cover up his sin and hide his act from the people. And so in a cowardly act, he has her husband killed in battle. Bathsheba finds out that her husband has been killed. She goes into mourning, lamenting. David takes Bathsheba to be his wife. He thinks he can manage it all. He thinks he can cover it up. He thinks he can keep it all under wraps. But I want you to hear how 2 Samuel 11 ends. All of David's work to manage his sin. And it ends this way, verse 27. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. Displeased the Lord. Do you see this? Do you see this? God sees. All of his effort, all of his work to manage his sin and hide his sin and cover it up. God sees. Proverbs 15.3 says that the eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. Will you please hear this this morning? I know that there are some who are here today who are currently in the midst of sin management, trying to keep your sin under wraps. You think you can hide it? You think you can fake your way through the Christian life? You think you can click and clear your sin away and no one will ever know, but would you please hear the word of the, of the Lord this morning? God sees. God knows. I want you to hear me 
It's only a matter of time before your sin is exposed. Whatever it may be. It's only a matter of time before it splatters. It's only a matter of time before shrapnel flies and your family is wounded, your children are impacted, your reputation is marred, your career is in jeopardy. It's only a matter of time because God loves you too much as his sons and daughters not to shine the light of his displeasure on your sin. I want to say that again. God loves you too much not to shine the light of his displeasure on your sin. This is exactly what happens to King David in 2 Samuel 7. In fact, the reason that we have Psalm 51 in our Bibles to read and to pray and to, 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 to have central in our playlist, the reason that it's in our Bible is because God in his kindness and his love shines the light of his displeasure on David's sin. He sends him a messenger the prophet Nathan, who comes to him in truth and in love, and he tells him that God sees, that God knows, and that God is displeased with his sin, that his sin is not hidden from the eyes of the Lord. And upon hearing this word from Nathan, David is convicted of his sin. And what does he do? What does he do when he's convicted of his sin, when the heavy hand of the Lord's conviction comes upon him? What does King David do? Does he does he downplay his sin? Does he say, oh, it's not, not really that, that big of a deal, Nathan. It's not that big of a deal, God. Come on, I'm, I'm the king after all. Does he minimize his sin? Does he blame shift his sin? Well, you know, if it weren't for this or for that, I, I wouldn't have done what I did. Does he, does he trade out his friends? Does he say, he say, servant, go get me a new prophet. Get me a new friend. Get Nathan out of here. Does he bring in some phony friends who will just affirm him in his sin? Is that what he does? No. Psalm 51 tells us what David does. David throws himself on the mercies of God. He throws himself on the mercies of God. He says, because God is merciful, I can come clean. I can confess what I've done, who I really am, and I can access the mighty, transforming mercy of the loving and living God. Look at what he says. Look back at the text. I want to read a few the verses, first verse one and two, he throws himself on the mercy of God. He says in verse one, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, cleanse me from my sin. First, David appeals to the nature and the character of God. He knows who God is. He, see, he doesn't come to God on his own merit. He doesn't come to God thinking that, well, you know, the, the magic trip, uh, trick of forgiveness is that if I kind of say a prayer, then God will forgive me. That's kind of how it works. No, no, no. It's not about the words that we say or the prayers that we pray. It's about who God is first and foremost. And he says, God, you are steadfast in love. Your love never fails and it never changes. And you've marked my life with your love. And I'm appealing to your mighty love for me. And then he says, God, you, you're, you're you're so merciful. It's who you are at your core. You are abundantly merciful. In other words, the mercy of God never ends. It never runs out. It's constantly overflowing. He appeals to the love and the abundant mercy of God. And then he says, verse seven, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Verse 10, create in me a clean heart, O God, 
and renew a right spirit within me. It's not just what's on the outside that needs to be cleansed, but it's my heart. It's what's on the inside. David teaches us something about sin. Sin isn't just bad things we do. It's something that's within us. It's desires in our heart that then come out sideways and actions. And he says, cleanse me in my innermost being. I need a ceremonial cleansing is what he's saying. A cleansing of the spirit, a cleansing of God. I can't clean myself up. Verse 12, restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Verse 14, he says, deliver me from blood guiltiness. He's saying, deliver me from the death that I deserve. O God, O God of my salvation and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. I want to give you four things that David teaches us about the mercy of God. Four things that the mercy of God can do for you. First, David teaches us in Psalm 51 that for those who repent, the mercy of God will free you. Verses three through five. Look back at verses three through five in your Bible. David essentially humbles himself. And it we see that the mercy of God frees us from the pretending, performing, projecting life. <laughs> he humbles himself. He says, God, you see me and you know me. I was born into iniquity. I'm a sinner in my innermost being, God, and you see me and you know that. And so he's freed to admit and acknowledge who he really is. He is desperate and dependent upon the mercy of God. And then he teaches us, secondly, that the mercy of God for those who repent, it can cleanse you. God's mercy can cleanse you today. White as snow, he says. Cleaner than you can imagine. Can make you pure in heart, he says in verse 7. He goes on in verses 10 through 12, and he teaches us that the mercy of God, that it can renew your spirit. Did, did, did you know that sin suffocates you? You know that. Sin suffocates us. Some of you are wondering, like, where's the joy gone in my life? Where's the joy gone in my relationship with Jesus? And it's because there's sin in your life that you've been hiding, that you've been holding on to, that you haven't confessed. It has grieved the Lord and it's grieved his Holy Spirit. It's suffocated the joy out of you. But upon confession and throwing yourself upon the mercy of God, David says that you can be renewed, that your joy in the Lord can be restored in a moment, in an instance, that it would even strengthen your body and your soul, he tells us in verse 11 and 12. It can lift up your countenance, the mercy of God. Wow. Finally, David teaches us in this psalm that the mercy of God moves us. It will move you. It doesn't only lift you up out of sin and forgive you of sin, but it will move you away from sin into the presence of God to worship God rightly. Verses 13 through 15, we see David teaching us this lesson that as we, as we receive the conviction of the Lord and we respond with confession, that that will then lead us to repentance, to actually turn away from sin. That's the distinction between confession and repentance. Confession is acknowledging our sin before the Lord. Repentance is to turn from that sin and turn back to the goodness of God. And it moves us to the goodness of God. What a gift. That's what Psalm 51 is. It is a gift to God's people in all times and all places to remind us of, first of all, what a gift conviction is. Will you please hear that this morning? There are some of us that think conviction is a dirty word, that we want to stiff arm the conviction of the Lord in our life. 
And that's a lie of the enemy. You see, the Spirit convicts us in kindness. Romans 2.4 says it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. The Spirit and the loving kindness of God wants to convict us. The enemy, if, if you're feeling condemnation in your life, that's the voice of Satan. The voice of the Spirit is the kind voice of conviction. And so many of us want to stiff-arm conviction, but I want you to see this morning from David and from Psalm 51, David, the utmost sinner, go read 2 Samuel 11 sees the conviction of the Lord as kindness, a kind gift of God to, to receive. What a gift it is to be convicted of sin. What a gift it is to be able to confess our sin. So many of us don't want to admit our sin before God. What a gift it is to be able to confess our sins. Confession, church, is like rocket fuel that lifts us up out of the misery of sin into the mercy of God's loving presence. What a gift it is to confess our sin. What a gift repentance is. As Christians, we are to live by repentance, live lives that are marked by repentance. That's why every week when we gather, we confess our sins corporately because the cadence of confession and faith, repentance and belief ought to mark our lives day by day. So that when your spouse comes to you and says, I have some concerns, we can sit down that inner defense attorney and we can go, I bet you do. I'm a sinner. <laughs> we have to be marked by repentance. What a gift it is to repent of our sin, to turn from sin and turn to God. I hope now you're seeing why this song is in the playlist for God's people. It teaches us how to access God's mercy. It reminds us of how God uh, views us as sinners and how God works towards sinners. He's merciful, abounding in mercy. So I want to ask you again the question that we began with. What do you do when you're faced with your sin, with your sin? Maybe even this morning you are being convicted by the spirit of sin in your life. Concerns that other people have brought you that you've stiff-armed, hidden sins in your life that you've kind of kept in the closet, and we think no one else sees and no one else knows, and the Spirit is convicting you this morning and reminding you that God sees and God knows. Perhaps this morning he's shining the light of his displeasure on your sin. What do you do when you're faced with your sin? I want you to hear again. You don't have to hide it. You don't have to downplay it. You don't have to blame shift. You don't have to make excuses, but you too can throw yourself on the mighty mercy of God. But I know that there are probably some of you who are here this morning who are thinking, yeah, listen, man, I get that God could be so merciful to others. I get that God would be so merciful to David. I mean, he was the anointed king after all. But I don't know that God, would, that God would be so merciful to me. It's like worse than you think. <laughs> and it generally always is, by the way. Worse than you think. It's actually worse than, than you know most of the time. It's worse than what you'll admit. And so you, maybe you're thinking, I, I don't know. I don't know if God could be so merciful to me. Well, this is where Psalm 51, again, acts like a hyperlink for us. We actually need to click it twice. But this time when we click it, the second time, it doesn't take us backwards. It's actually going to take us forward. It's going to take us to another king, a truer king, 
a king who was also chosen and anointed to deliver God's people, to defeat our enemies. King who too found himself alone. A king who found himself tempted in every way. Yet this king was tempted without sin. Yet this king, unlike David, never sinned. This king was blameless. He was holy. He was perfect. He lived a life in which his power was palpable. Yet he'd never used his power to victimize the weak, but to lift up the lowly. Unlike David, this king never used his position to authorize injustice, but this king laid down his position and he took up the cross in order to accomplish justice for sinners, to atone for our sin, to pour out God's mercy on sinners of all kinds and of all sorts, even sinners like you, utmost sinners like you and like me. And I think you know who I'm talking about. His name is Jesus. He's the image of the invisible God. He sees you. He knows you. And he loves you. Oh, how he loves you. He's the Lamb of God. He's the propitiation for our sins. Ephesians 1 7 tells us that in him, in Jesus, in this king, there is redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And that's a promise for you. And that's a promise for me. Do you want to know what the mercy of God can do for you today? If you would confess your sin, if you would throw yourself on the mercy of God, then all you have to do is look to Jesus. You can stop looking at your sin and you can look to Jesus. You can see him. You can see his life, his death, his resurrection for you. And you can come clean with your sins and you can experience mercy. You can be freed today. You can be freed of that burden of shame and that burden of guilt. You can can be cleansed today from the inside out. You can have the joy of the Lord restored to you today. You can be moved today away from sin and toward God. You see, this is the invitation. And I just want to say to you this morning, don't miss it. Don't miss the invitation to receive conviction and to respond in confession. Psalm 51, 17 ends this way. It says, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. In other words, God will never oppose the humble. The scriptures tell us he opposes the proud, but to those who come to him humbly, he will never turn away. In fact, it goes on, it says, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. You come to God this morning in confession, he will not reject you. He cannot reject you. He lives. Jesus lives in this very moment to give mercy to sinners. Isn't that good news? In a moment, we're going to enter into a time of response. And as I was praying this morning, I was just thinking, what a beautiful thing it would be this morning. As as we hear God's word, and then we enter into a time of response, if confession just started to confession of sin, sin that maybe hasn't been confessed in months and years and decades. If confession of sin just started just to spring up from every row, from from every chair, what a beautiful thing that would be this morning to receive the gift of, I don't have to stiff arm the conviction of the spirit. I don't have to hide my sin or or, or fake, but I I can just confess the sin that the Spirit is convicting me of right now. And if confession just started to just rise up 
from all across this room this morning and the mercy of God started just to rain down all across this room. What a beautiful reality that would be to, with the Spirit's help through his word that we would just be lifted up into the mighty mercies of God this morning. Wouldn't that be beautiful? Well, we're going to have an opportunity to do that in a moment. We're going to respond in a moment. I just want to invite you before we come to the table, if you want to just take a moment in your seat, in your row, and just sit with the Lord and, and confess. Maybe you need to write out a confession. You need to pray a confession. If you want to come up to receive the elements and then take a knee here at the altar, you're always welcome to do that and just confess your sin. If you need someone to pray for you, I'll be in the back and I would love to pray with you. But I want to just say, let's not miss the opportunity this morning to receive real mercy from the living Christ today. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you that there is no sin that you will not forgive when we come to you in humble repentance. Father, we thank you that there is no life that you cannot mend in your mercy and grace where there is redemption. Father, we thank you that there is no wound that you cannot heal. As shrapnel flies when we sin and we are often wounded by the sins of others. Some of us this morning have carried in wounds from the sins of other people. And we say, God, thank you that there is no wound that you cannot heal in your mighty mercy. And we acknowledge humbly before you that there is no sin in this room that you do not see. You see us. And you have so loved us in our state that you've sent your son that we might be forgiven and redeemed. I pray this morning that you would grant us the courage to come to you in repentance, to claim your mighty mercy in our lives today, in this moment, before it's too late. We thank you for your steadfast love and for your abundant mercy. As we come into a time of response, Holy Spirit, we invite you to move into our, in our midst. We pray that confession would rise up all across this room this morning and that mercy would rain down. As we come to the meal that you have set the table for us, we pray that as we receive your, 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 the bread and, and the juice, your body and your blood, that you would nourish us with your grace. That you would lift us up that you would pour the love of the Father into our hearts this morning, that our lips would proclaim your praise, and that our lives would declare your goodness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.